As I said, we will be meditating on the Father this evening as it comes to us from the Heidelberg Catechism and its explanation of Lord's Day 9, in Lord's Day 9. We are going through the Heidelberg Catechism. That can be found on page 210 in your Forms and Prayers book. As we go through the explanation of the Apostles' Creed and hear what we believe and confess about God our Father. We will also be reading Romans 8. We'll be reading verses 12 through 17, focusing on verses 15 and 16 of Romans 8. Before we read, let's ask for God's blessing. Father in heaven, we come before you to ask for a clarity of mind, that you would open our minds to the reading of your word and to the preaching of it that we would be instructed, we would be encouraged, and that we would be ready to respond in worship and praise, and that our hearts would be drawn to you in what we see here, the doctrine in, of, in your word, not only that you are a sovereign Lord, not only that you are creator and all-powerful, but especially what is dear to us, that you, through Christ, are our Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We will read first this time from Lord's Day 9, and then we will read our text from Romans. Lord's Day 9 asks, What do you believe when you say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? That the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and everything in them, who still upholds and rules them by his eternal counsel and providence, is my God and Father, For the sake of Christ his Son. I trust God so much that I do not doubt he will provide whatever I need for body and soul and will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends upon me in this veil of tears. He is able to do this because he is Almighty God. He desires to do this because he is a faithful Father. Now we zero in on one of the particular doctrines that are taught there. And what we focus on here in Romans 12 through 17, and and particularly verses 15 and 16, is the fact that the Father is our Father. Romans 8, beginning verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Thus ends the reading of God's word. As we seek to unpack this doctrine and its beauty, I want to present a scenario, a situation that is not far-fetched for many of us. Many of us will connect with this scenario very well as something we battle and do in our own minds and face on a daily basis. It's late at night, and fear grips you. Your spouse isn't feeling well. It's minor. You know it's minor. It's not as if you're in doubt. And yet you're afraid. 
You're afraid and it has caused you to go all the way to the future and all the fears that it might contain. What if they get really sick? What is life without them? What happens if God takes them away? We can just slightly modify this scenario. What if it's your, your kids? What if it's something you think about your siblings or your friends, your family, whatever it is? What will happen if they die before me and, and thoughts of death swirl in your head or, or thoughts of pain and suffering and pretty soon you find you're so far ahead in the future that you're burying your loved one, you're alone. You're not understanding how you can go through their loss and a feeling descends upon you. The best way to describe it is one of sheer terror that has gripped you and caused what may just be deemed or termed a panic attack. You're scared. You're scared and what makes it even worse is what caused it could have been anything like a minor cold to a loved one. You see, some might be sitting here and thinking, well, that's quite a a crazy stretch, but many of us know better than that, who who face that trial, who face fear, who face anxiety. And in these scenarios, though nothing really bad had actually happened yet, and God be praised for that, you feel that panic and anxiousness, and it's something that has so messed up your system and caused so many emotions and adrenaline and all these things that it's going to take weeks for your system to even work through it. Thus is life battling anxiety and fear. Well, why do I bring that up? Well, I bring it up because these two Lord's Days, Lord's Days 9 and 10, on the Father and on Providence, are the lifeline that you hold to in these times. Because you've got to grasp something, you've got to hold on to something. And if we can broaden it even more than such a scenario, it's anything we face, anything, as the Catechism says, we face in this veil of tears. What do we do? Well, you can hold on to only one thing. You can only grasp tight, hold on to all your worth, even as everything rages within you and around you. And that is the mark of faith and trust. And what is it that you're holding on to? You're holding on to this truth. And here's the the whole point of our message. God our Creator, through Christ, is God our Father, and so God our trust. God our Creator, through Christ, is God our Father, and so God our trust. It's that or a variation of that truth and that doctrine that causes us to stand firm and to trust, and to even as Psalm 27 says, which is, by the way, a a really wonderful psalm to fit into this whole topic, is how are we strong and courageous? How do we stand firm? How do we wait for the Lord? It is grasping that lifeline. It's grasping that doctrine. It's grasping that truth. And this is how you see that that doctrine couldn't be further away from, from being unapplicable. It's so applicable. It is what we, we, what, what we take to bear on the situations of life and our thought life and our fears and whatever we're facing. Often when God's word confronts whatever it is, and anxiety, and that fear, whatever it might be, the way God's Word confronts it is a dual approach of presenting the Lord as our Sovereign Lord, who then thus has all power, and our Father, who then loves us and will show compassion. And it's that dual approach, it's those two truths that help us stand firm and grasp it, because we have someone who cares for us and is compassionate and loving, our Father, 
who through Christ, and that's a key, that's a key qualification, who through Christ is our Father, and thus is our trust. And all of the, the, the glory of Psalm 27, all the hope of Romans 8, it applies to God's people, and we cling to this. So first we look at what we profess about God the Father, and we'll see how we are building a case for that lifeline that we grasp, even as we began this evening. We build the case for why it matters and why that is a lifeline. The Catechism explains what the Creed confesses about God the Father. We last week saw in Lord's Day 8 an explanation of the Trinity, and now the Catechism goes through each person of the Trinity, and we begin with the Father. And what we confess and say is that we believe in the Eternal Father. We profess our faith in Christ and and in, in the Father. And what I would say is that that's a far different profession than merely that he exists we can use uh, the president as an example. It's, it's far different to say, I believe that the president is, or I believe in the president. And that's the difference. And when we profess our faith, we aren't just professing he exists. We say we believe in him. We profess faith, trust in him. We are his. That's the difference, that he is the eternal Father. That's the first thing we profess about God the Father. He's the eternal Father. This not only ascribes to him that divine attribute of eternality, that he has always existed and will always exist, he is eternal itself, but he is and exists as eternal Father. That means there was never a time of the person of the Father that he was not the Father. This means he was always in, in all time generating or begetting, as the word we use, of the Son, it's actually a defense of the Son's deity and the Son's full full deity in, in, in regards to the Father, because if the Father is always the Father begetting, there was no point in time in which the Son was not begotten. There's no point in time in which the Son did not exist. It ascribes the same substance to the Son as it does to the Father, because he's the eternal Father. So not only does that describe his person, it describes even the relationships of the Trinity, and we confess and profess that he is eternal Father, always begetting the Son. The Father is Father in relation to the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Now this establishes a very important truth, a very important connection. Because he is eternal Father of the Son, who has come to us in Christ, and we are in Christ, he now becomes our eternal Father. He is more to us than just the Creator. He's more to us than just deity and power and the one governing it all. He's our Father because we are in Christ. God, our Creator, through Christ is God, our Father. Eternally, this means. And so it is through that connection and through Christ that we have that connection to God himself where we don't, we don't know him as mere subjects, but we know him as a dad. And that's what we see from our text in Romans. We cry to him, Dad, Father, the one who cares for us and the one who has that compassion on us and yet has all the power, even the power to create. And that's the second thing we profess about our Heavenly Father. He creates, he's the creator, and specifically that he creates all out of nothing. Here we have a description of the Father's work work and what he does. Now, of course, 
Each member of the Trinity was involved in the work of creation, but it's proper to ascribe that work in total to the Father himself. And that's what the Catechism is doing. It's ascribing, as it works through to each member of the Trinity, what is their primary work or what is primarily attributed to them. And the Father here is the creator, the one who creates through the power of his word, the sheer power of his word, with no help, with nothing else, out of nothing, or that term ex nihilo, he creates out of nothing, which is a tenet for our faith. We can't compromise there. Well, why can't we compromise there? Because for the Father to create out of something that he didn't create, that he didn't speak into existence, meant there is either something outside of him that he doesn't control, or there is something eternally existing alongside of him, which would not only undermine his deity, his eternality, as the only one who truly is eternal, but it creates this substance alongside of him. So there can be no explanation where there is a God who just takes some primordial goo or substance and, and flings something out of it that wasn't from him first. No, he has to speak everything into existence. Without that, if you, if you say that there was something else besides him, we have lost even his, his attributes his divine power, who he is, his existence. So it's, it's imperative that we say he creates out of nothing. We also see that what this is saying is it's, it's not that pagan idea, the pagan idea that there was something else, and, and then they formed, the gods formed something out of it, because that just brings us to the problem of origins. So what is demanded? What's demanded in logic itself for creation to exist? It demands an eternal being. And what God's word declares to us is that eternal being, that eternal agent who can choose and acts is our Father, our Lord. He does act. The doctrine of creation is extremely important. The Father created. There's no random Big Bang to explain the causes. There's no process of theistic evolution that just over an insane amount of years, this is what developed, he created and he spoke it out of nothing. That is what we believe. That's what we confess, his creation out of nothing. The third thing we confess is his continual operation. His continual operation. You can see this as we go through the, the Lord's Day. This is what we profess about our Father, that he continually operates. He's not a God like deism. He's not a God that winds up the world and lets it go. And here you start seeing how important it is that we're saying these things for you when you're on your bed panicking at night. What have we already said? He's our Father, and so he cares. He's the creator, so he has power. He's the one who continually operates, so he is not distant from us. Nowhere to be found. Not operating in the world. No, he's upholding the whole world. And if he's upholding the whole world, using our example, he's upholding the bed upon which you're in panic and fear. He's upholding your breath as you're breathing, and probably breathing in a way you shouldn't be at that time, right? He's continually operating. Now, this will come out especially in the next Lord's Day in his providence, so we'll leave it there more, but we'll take it as that peace that he is in operation. He's not a God who separates himself from all these things. He's active and he's interacting with his creation. He's not a pantheistic God, which, what is that? It means creation is not identified with him. There's a distinction. Though he created all, creation is not a manifestation of him. It's not a part of divinity. 
There's a distinction. He spoke it. Though he governs it and is in control of it, it isn't him. He's outside of it. All these things build that case for us, our Father, and it all builds the case to our second point, what this means to his children. This is the beauty of this Lord's Day, and this is the fourth aspect of what we confess about God. God is my God and Father for the sake of Christ his Son. God is my God, emphasize that my for the sake of Christ, his Son. This is not the last time the Catechism will draw a lot from this truth and from the Father as our Father and what that means to us. What this means is, at the end of the day, the embrace of your Father through his Son means your fears will not be victorious, nor will pain last forever. And the Catechism explains this truth so beautifully. Through Christ, he is my God and Father for the sake of Christ, his Son. I trust God so much that I do not doubt he will provide whatever I need for body and soul and will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends upon me in this veil of tears. He is able to do this because he is Almighty God. He desires to do this because he is a faithful Father. It's beautiful, and at every point it's correct and scriptural. You can just look through it. It's it's through Christ. That's what, the, that's what we see. It's, it's all through him. But what does it cause? It causes trust. And it causes a certain type of trust. We often speak of trust rather generally. Trust the Lord. Trust in him. I'm working on trusting in God. You're panicking. You're scared or anxious. Trust in the Lord. Well, but what does that produce? What, what, what is that trust? I trust God so much that I do not doubt that he will provide whatever I need for body and soul and will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends upon me in this veil of tears. You see, when the, the world and when the world God has us in this vice grip and we're we're suffering, we will feel the pain and we will know the terror even. But what this is saying is that we face it without the doubt of what God will do through it. And so yeah, there's patience. And it takes a lot of it but it comes that we we will seek not to doubt that he has a plan in it. This is how God is the God, our creator, and through Christ is God, our father, and so God, our trust. And then you see how the catechism ends. It's answer. He's able to do this because he's almighty God. That's his sovereignty. He desires to do this because he's a faithful father. That's his compassion and his love. That's what scripture presents to us as our, our lifeline, our source of strength. He is a father unlike any other. You may have had the best parents in the world, and they're a pale, poor imitation of the father that we have in heaven. And for those of you who perhaps did not have the greatest of parents, you should see this as the hope of who you too do truly have as your father. Radically dissimilar, unlike perhaps your earthly parents in maybe every way. But he's a father of compassion, a father of love. And we can even take the human example. Think of the beauty there is of a father. And in the family unit, the father is is that representation of strength and of power. But the father who stoops down and picks up his little child. There's there's beauty there. There's beauty in the the, the calloused hands of strength and power coming as as hands of gentleness and care. 
And that's what we have in our Father. The mighty hands of power that, that comes to us in gentleness and care. You can think of that, that those calloused hands of a, of a worker, a man of strength. That's our Lord and that's our God, and yet His power and His strength are not those calluses that are rough and grip in anger or pain. They're the ones that stoop down and lift us up because we are His child through Christ. In God, we also see a, a fatherly love that, from our perspective, might be a love that shouldn't be. What I mean there is, is, is a scandalous love. A love that so outpaces the love that we display and the love that we could display. You can think of the parable of the prodigal son in Luke. And what the father there, and, and that parable is really about the father, it's not about the son. It's about the father and what he does in his, in his love for his child and his son, which is scandalous, especially in that time. He, he rushes to the dishonored son who dishonored him, who is unclean from the pigs that he had been, been feeding, who is unclean from the wild living that he had done in the land. And what does the father do with no idea of his own honor? He lifts up his robes and he goes charging to his son to welcome him back. A love far beyond our love. Scandalous in nature, one that we couldn't comprehend. 1 John 3, verse 1, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. See what kind of love the Father gives us, that we should be called children of God, and you are. What a truth. What does this mean in practice? Matthew 7, 9-11, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? It's care. We haven't begun to scratch the surface of the loving heart of our Father. And again, going back to the, the application that's been before us this evening, the fear, the, the anxiety, whatever it is. What does this mean? It means we, we, we dig in to the truths of his sovereign power and especially of his great love and compassion. It means whatever you're fearing, he has it in the palm of his hand. He's in control and he's the wise one. He knows how to do and turn everything we're good. The, the rub for us, the difficulty there, is we don't see how it can happen. That's not a problem with the Lord. It's just a problem with our vantage point, brothers and sisters. Just because we can't see how it'll happen doesn't mean that it will not, nor does it put a problem in God. It just means from where we sit now, there are things that block our view. But one day, those, those barriers will be removed. There are so many examples of this. You can even look at your catechism lesson in Lord's Day 9 and look at all the footnotes there. Look at the list of verses that are proving everything that this Lord's Day is saying from Scripture. And in fact, it's amazing. If you tried to catalog all the verses and references you could in God's Word that presents, to, that presents His love to us and His compassion to us, you might as well just take the Bible. Because everything about it is doing that for His people. 
Think of how you approached worship this evening. You came and heard grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't begin worship even without understanding that who we've approached is indeed our Father. We read in 2 Corinthians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. The Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Galatians 4, 4-7, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. 1 Peter 1, 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And the list goes on and on and on of God our Father and what he does for us as people. J.I. Packer, in his well-known book, Knowing God, says this. I want us to pay attention to this because this is a, a, the point, I would say, of exhortation in the, in the message. And what I mean there is something that we need to take and, and, and put some work in. Okay? J.I. Packer says, If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God, God as his father. Find out how much this one makes of the thought of being of God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. That's true. The f- the, how much you make of the truth that you are God's son, that he is your father, will be a barometer of how well we do grasp and live our Christian faith. And one that we must seek to grasp all the more. That we would work on making more of that thought. That it would be even that much more dear to us that God is our Father. Backer continues, For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new, And better than the old, everything that is distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. That's how important this is and how vital. This is the comfort you need. This is where we turn when we face the fears. This isn't... No, this isn't. It's, it's not a, a, a medication. It's not a, a drug. You see, when you are on your beds in fear, or wherever you are, anxious and afraid, or pressed down and don't know if you can continue, what we want is the medication. We want the drug that we can just take, and it's going to take it all away. It's going to take the symptoms away. And God does do that at times. Many of you have experienced that, where in answer to prayer, you feel peace. You feel at ease and calm and and in the sure hands of your Father, but often that isn't, that's not the norm, because it isn't a drug, it's a lifeline. A drug masks symptoms, a drug may take away the pain, that's not necessarily what this is. 
It's a lifeline, and it's a thing on which someone depends. That's what a lifeline is. It provides a means of deliverance from the threat of danger. Though we often want the medication, we're better off with the lifeline. You're better off with the the line that will pull you away from it, that pulls you through it, than you are with the thing that might just take the fear away. The lifeline we deliver and in the lifeline we have delivers us in the process it allows us to grow in our faith and to cling to our Father through Christ. And so we see God our Creator through Christ is God our Father, and so God our trust. Amen. Let's pray to our Father in heaven. O oh, Father, In heaven, we come before you and praise your great name. And we ask that we would be those to trust in your sovereign love, that we would be those to trust in you because you are Almighty God who has created, who is eternal, who continually operates, and is our Father. That we would trust that you know how and will turn to good whatever adversity you send us in this veil of tears. And that we will know all the more that you are able to do this because you are our almighty God and you desire to do this because you are our faithful Father. May we make much of that doctrine and seek to turn always to you. Be with us in our trials. Strengthen us for what you've called us to go through. And may we indeed reach that time when we will truly see your face, for it is your face that we seek. 